Hey everybody, welcome back. You're listening to the Glass House Podcast with Ben and Lindley Mandrell. I'm Angie Elkins, producer of the show. Guys, I'm so glad that you have joined us for this special episode. Many of you know the SBC 2023 wrapped a couple of weeks ago. One of the highlights for the Lifeway team is getting to host a special breakfast for anyone at the SBC who would like to come. And this year, Ben and Lindley invited Jennifer and Phil Rothschild to be their special guest to have a great conversation about how to deal with your inner critic. This is so important and relevant to ministry families. I know you're going to love it just as much as I did. I want to encourage you, stay tuned to the very end because Ben kind of sprung a question on Jennifer about what is it like to be a woman in the SBC these days? And I am telling you, the wisdom that Jennifer dropped at the end of this conversation is something I can't stop thinking about. Okay, here we go. I think that you think I'm not strategic because I don't spend my time the way you spend your time. I think that you think that I'm too controlling when I ask you how you spend your time. I think that you think I'm too easy on the kids, like I'm a pushover. Maybe. (laughs) But I think that you think I'm too hard on the kids and am a drill sergeant. It's not true. They talk to me. Spare the rod. I think that you think I'm dumb because I have no internal GPS and get lost in our neighborhood all the time. I think that you think I'm dumb because I never went to seminary and I don't, I don't read books of theology and I prefer fiction. I think that you think I'm disloyal because sometimes when people disrespect you, I bite my tongue. I think that you think I'm a raging activist when I want to stand up for what I believe. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. (laughs) You're going to say. This exercise is a little game that we play in our marriage. Good luck. It's called I Think That You Think. Because we often have ideas in our heads, not only about ourselves, but about what other people are thinking about us. And in ministry, it happens all the time when one church member walks by and gives you a bit of a cold demeanor and you just wonder, did I, what did I do? Or what, what is this person thinking? And we wanted to talk about that today. I want to read a quote from a book. It says, psychologists and neuroscientists have concluded that everybody maintains a continuous, ongoing, silent dialogue or stream of self-talk of between 150 and 300 words a minute. The thoughts can be accurate or inaccurate. They can be constructive or deconstructive, right or wrong. We fill our thought closets one thought at a time, one silent word at a time, what utterance of a soul talk at a time. Maybe we're the only ones that struggle with the inner narrator. I know even here at the SBC, as I walk down the hall and see people, my mind is always telling me things about what they think about me or uh, what's going on between us. And it's this critic that's always there. And we, we have some dear, dear friends. One of them wrote a book on this called Me, Myself, and Lies. Her name is Jennifer Rothschild. And would you just join me in thanking Phil and Jennifer for coming to the platform? Come on, guys. It is so good to be with you guys again. We had them at one of our big team gatherings this year and just absolutely fell in love with this couple. 
And the craziest thing happened at the restaurant the other night. We had dinner. Phil leaned over to Lindley and said, Lindley, you have the most amazing eyebrows. Can you maybe explain one more time why you said that to my wife? I apologize for that, but, you know, I, I, I helped Jennifer a little bit with her makeup. Right. Uh, and so I always notice that, you know, certain things about eyes and eyelashes and eye makeup, it's just, it's just hitting the feminine side of me, evidently. He but, can't help thank it. You. He, yeah. He's always studying because he, you know, I don't know about the ladies in this room and their age group, but... Like, my brows and lashes, I, like, go to put on my mascara and my... I'm like, where did they go? And then, like, I feel my chin on, like, oh, there they are. (laughs) Anyway, so because I can't see it, Phil helps me, you know, put things back where they belong. (laughs) Well, why don't you guys tell us how you met? Because a lot of folks here may not know your history, your background. How'd you guys meet? Yeah, so we met at Palm Beach Atlantic University in 1982. Jennifer was a sophomore. I was a freshman. Uh, I knew that she couldn't see. I knew I had a chance, so I pursued her. (laughs) Four years later, we got married and been married for 37 years now. And the Lord has been really good, really good. Well, we're going to ask you some questions over the next 20 minutes or so, but we're going to put a QR code on the screen and grab your phone and get this QR code because while they're talking, we want to take questions from the room and we're going to pose those questions to them. And if we can't get to them all, we'll, we'll try to handle them on our podcast. But we want this to be an interactive experience, Great. but we're going to get things started by just kind of getting the conversation rolling. So who's asking the first question? Is it me or you? Well, I am. I'm just talking about how, the topic of today is just negative thoughts in ministry. And to, so to frame this up, I asked a few different pastors' wives some things they've been told, and it's been very, some hard things. And I just kind of translate it to, if that was me, this is what I would have heard. Mm. So example number one, somebody said, I have this great book on weight loss. You should read it or I can loan you my personal copy. Somebody told a pastor's wife that. That had been me, I would have thought, you think I'm undisciplined and overweight and I'm upset a bad example for the congregation. Mm. That's just what I would have heard. Example number two, you can't have friends in the church because it will form a clique. The translation for me is in order for us to have a healthy church, you have to be lonely. And then point number three is when church people start conversations that begin with, I just want to let you know, or I know you probably heard, the translation is, since you lack self-awareness, I'm going to fill you in on something that people are saying. So Jennifer, I mean, people plant these ideas in our head. They take us to a dark place. Yeah. You know, you wrote a book on this. What, I mean, what are your thoughts? Well... So here's the thing, Lindley. It's interesting. You explained two different things, what was said and what you heard. Right. And I think that's important. So like, I'm a pastor's daughter. So I grew up in a home where a lot of that that you just mentioned is familiar. And so like, if I were in this room, you know, if I could read your mind, oh, what a, what a tale your thoughts would tell, mm. right? Um, like I can imagine um, some pastors in here. Why don't I have as many baptisms as, you know, that other church? Or uh, some women in this room, um, I, bet, I bet their family does morning devotions. I bet they have family hymn sings at night and we can't even get our kids at the table at the same time. Uh, you know, maybe if I wore skinny jeans and white tennis shoes, we'd have more people at our church. I mean, there's just, 
we, we compare. And here's the thing. Our brains are hardwired for comparison. That's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, social comparison theory says that we are driven to compare because it helps us, um, it helps us maintain these, these native drives that we have, which are like for self-evaluation, self-enhancement, self-improvement. So that, that can be a very good thing it, because comparison keeps us on track, but the other thing it can do is it gets us off truth. Because if we have the wrong standard, the wrong benchmark against which we are comparing, then it gets us off truth. And we invite this inner critic to come in and just like dominate our thinking. And, and we begin this negative narration that can just cloud our thinking. Mm. Mm. Phil, how about you on that? Do you, you struggle with that at all? I mean, you're, you just seem like such a positive person. <laughs> I'm relatively positive, but I am a trained professor. Right, I'm a professor at a university and uh, happen to teach in an entertainment management program. And so I'm always trying to help students be career-minded and develop into careers. So I have a tendency to you know, be a, a critic or give some coaching or give some ideas. And so I think that um, that's my natural bent. And sometimes I need to back away from that and just be more empathetic and understanding. Mm-hmm. I think that topic at the SBC is so relevant because one of my struggles every year at the SBC is just being conscious of the comparison thing that's always happening of, am I dressed nice enough? Why don't I wear that? Or that person walks with such confidence or how did that, why did that person get so many people talking to them? And I'm over here looking at my phone, trying to act busy, trying to act busy. I felt like more of the struggle was the week before, like, watching the Twitter feeds. It's like, oh, oh my, my gosh, like it's just anxiety. It just creates this sense of dark, you, your mind goes to a dark place. Yeah, yeah, it does. As a professor, I also, you know, I'm a, uh, you know I, I, I look at myself and I think, I'm not the best researcher and I'm not necessarily the best teacher and orator, but I at least um, feel like I am good at something and that might be investing in students and helping them along the way. But I could do that same kind of comparison yeah, with other professors in, whatever in, field. in the academic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's something you learned in writing this book about that, Jennifer? Hmm. Well, the reason I wrote the book is because I needed to read the book. Uh, because I had this very negative narrator who was quick to compare um, and to speak untruths. So I don't talk about positive or negative self-talk. I talk about constructive or destructive because sometimes the most positive thing we can say to ourselves is a truthful statement like, hey, you, you have an anger issue, right? That's, that, is a, that is a positive, difficult statement. It is constructive. But there is destructive self-talk that I have learned. I was speaking to myself and it was a habit. And sometimes we don't recognize the habit because to us it's normal. But I remember somebody said, telling me one time, yeah, that kind of destructive self-talk, it's normal like cancer. And it's slowly eating away your wellness. And so that's why I began to study um, scripturally how to speak truth to my own soul. One of the things that we love about you guys, you did this at One Life Way, is just how you talk about how that affects your marriage. Hmm. Uh, there's a story in one of your books, Jennifer, where where Phil asked you directly, why are you so hard on me all the time? <laughs> yes. And you responded by concluding that that's because you're internally so hard on yourself. Yeah. It was one of the most dark, liberating moments of my personal mm-hmm. life and in our marriage. Yeah, I remember we were sitting in the driveway and I was just giving him what for about what, who knows what. <laughs> and uh, 
he did, he, he said, you're so hard on me. And it just startled me. And I did begin to analyze. And I realized, well, the reason I had no grace for him is because I had no grace for me. And the reason I was hard on him is because I was excruciatingly hard on me. And so that became this opportunity for us to kind of transition into, you know, recognizing this dynamic between us. Now, I will say this, part of what complicated it also, and a lot of people in this room can identify, we work together in ministry. So there is an opportunity for honest feedback Yet we give it and receive it differently yeah. because like Phil said, he's a professor, so he's wired for critique. Yeah. And I've learned over these years you know, <laughs> to, to really back off from that. My initial reaction would be, hey, tweak this, tweak that, because I do that in the classroom. But Jennifer doesn't need tweaking, right? So I need to back <laughs> away from that. Hold on. Can you say that last one yeah. again? She doesn't need tweaking <laughs> and you guys don't need tweaking, right? Um, but, you know, so I've basically tried to be a little bit more empathetic to Jennifer and realize that, you know, she's incredible in so many ways and I don't need to be her tweaker in, in, in mm. chief, right? So yeah. I back away, try to be a little bit more understanding and uh, realize that life, we all have struggles, we all have challenges with blindness. It exaggerates everything and it's harder. So mm. I just try to show a little bit more grace than I am to be critic to somebody. It's funny, we both, we've both learned a lot in this area, but one thing, I don't even know if you know you do this, but... Lately, um, I'll say something. And uh, earlier in our marriage, Phil's mode would be to help me come up with a solution. He yeah, would fix, fix it, it, right? Fix it. And now he just says, I understand. And I cannot tell you what that does for me. Even physically, there's just this peace that washes over mm. me. And in, in the book that y'all are talking about, I actually talk about the difference between water words and gasoline words. So when he is quick to critique, even if it comes from a good place... Those are like gasoline words because like I have this spark within me Mm. all the time. It's either going to be a spark of anger or a spark of despair, but there's a spark. And you throw gasoline on it, which is you should, I wish, et cetera, then Yeah. But when you say, I understand, that fire just begins to go out and it's just peaceful. So I call those water words and he has been giving me a lot of healing water words. Mm. We were having a... sparky moment the other day mm-hmm. <laughs> and um i said to her you need to read jennifer's book about <laughs> the moment when she realized that she was being so hard on phil because phil's awesome and she didn't realize it and have you read that part yet no because i said and you need to read the bible about grace <laughs> i don't go to books i go to the bible okay oh so word centered i know um the thing that he and I do that is um, really detrimental to our marriage is that we exaggerate and we'll say, he said to me in this moment, you were always rude. Mm. And I, I had to think about it and process it and think, you know what, that's, I, am, I can be very rude. Like it's a, I'm, I'm a spark also, and so I can say things rudely, but I'm not always rude. And I have to measure it against God's truth that that's not who he made, that's not how he made me. And so I can't always be rude. Yeah, she got so mad at me over that that she took a hike by herself all day. <laughs> yeah, if and you saw my post, she you posted it was on sweet. Instagram, I know who God made me to be. <laughs> and I was like, and she Hashtag got like 900 ben. likes on that Instagram. I was like, everyone, everyone was so like, much it trouble. Was, it was so good for you to take a day. And I was like, yeah, I took a day to be away from him. To know who God made me to be. It's true. Wow. I needed it. Because I am not rude. Well, I will say... Not always. Say this. 
That's one impressive strategy. Um, but I will say this. <laughs> uh, we've all got that stuff. We all do. And it's interesting. We are so vulnerable in the best and worst ways to the person who knows us best and loves us most. Mm. And so those words spoken or withheld can kill us, right? And so I remember when uh, we were first married. Well, let me back up. When I was in high school, I don't know if any of y'all remember green stamps. You'd go to the grocery store and you'd get green stamps. Okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you're not from Florida or the South. Yeah. We would, so my mother would let me keep all the green stamps. If you spend enough money, you get these green stamps. You lick them all. They're spearminty. You put them in a little book. You fill your book, and then you can take them in and redeem them at the green stamp store. And I got a dictionary with my book of green stamps, okay? So when we were first married, I bring this blue American Heritage Dictionary and put it on the shelf. And I'll never forget the day Phil pulls that off of the shelf. He pulls out an X-Acto knife, and you tell him what you did. Well, one of the things when we first got married was we decided and we chose to, to remove the word divorce from an option for us. So we went into the dictionary, went to that page that had the word divorce, and with an X-Acto knife, we took it out of our vocabulary. Yeah, it's we not exactly, in the dictionary It's not in the dictionary. Anymore. So if you went there, it'd be a space there. Mm-hmm. That happens to be the, the word that we're not going to consider, that we're not going to use. And I think there's some other words we need to, need to exacto exactly. knife out of our huh. vocabulary because they're hurtful. Well, like always, never. Anything hyperbolic usually does not apply. Like, and there's some words with, it's, it's nuanced within every marriage. Like, but for us... If Phil tells me to calm down, you might as well tell me to go ballistic and lose my mind. (laughs) Because that's what's going to happen. And so, like, that is theoretically words that need to be exactoed out of the dictionary of our marriage. Now, here's why. Because the words we use toward each other, like I said, we're vulnerable. And those words, they're going to shame us or they're going to shelter us. There's really not many other categories when it comes to marriage words. They either shame us or they shelter us. And in our awareness of, of, of um, loving each other well, I think we need to be mindful of what shelters our partner rather than what shames them. And, you know, and the other thing, the other side of that, though, is I have to remind myself, and I think every married person does, that just because, you know, like Ben, if you say to Lindley, you're always rude, well, she knows deep down that you don't really mean that. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we have to let grace, you know, find the motivation That's good. in someone else's heart, that it's not necessarily malice as much as it might just be ignorance or their own insecurity. Or habits, for that yeah. Jennifer, before people start to believe that your book is all about psychobabble, because it's really not, it's a Bible study. Oh, it's Bible, yeah, it's um, Bible. I, I do think about the awesome verse that we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and with praise. Yeah. And someone explained that to me, that the way we come into the intimacy of God is with praise. And human relationships work the same way. Mm. Is I, I draw people into the inner sanctum who I can count on to be an encouragement. Because mm-hmm. I need, I know how much I need it. Because I'm so hard yeah. on myself, right. and so I try to. I'm trying to remember that when she's irritated or having a hard day, she really needs encouragement, not rebuke. And it's very difficult to shift out of that mindset. So yeah. thanks for the reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the parenting thing, though, can we talk about that? Sure. Um, 
we really struggle with parenting our teenagers. We often disagree on how to handle situations with them. So can you guys talk about how, how has negative talk affected your parenting? Well, I'll never forget, um, it was, it was a uh, school morning, and our youngest son, Connor, was one of those kids who was never late, always did his homework, you know, one of those. That was just his nature, and because his big brother was the opposite. <laughs> and so whatever had happened that morning, he had forgotten something or done something wrong, and I was standing in the kitchen, and I overheard him say, Connor, you are such an idiot. And... I can't tell you how that hit me mm-hmm. as his mom. And I looked at him as if he had done something very wrong. I said, son, you're not allowed to talk to my child that way. You're just not allowed to talk to him that way. And it was a defining moment for me to realize how we do that to ourselves. We call ourselves names. We do that kind of stuff to ourselves. And really, we don't have that right as God's child because it dishonors the parent dishonors the father when we defame the child. And so I think for, for us with parenting, I mean, that's been a reminder to me is that um, our children, just like we do, will have that tendency for the inner critic to jump in. And so the more we speak truth to their souls about who they are, their identity, the more they are able to dif- discern speaking truth to their own souls, you know, because mm. they're, they're not idiots. Yeah, I remember when, when our other child was uh, not thriving at, in middle school, um, I was a little bit discouraged. He wasn't becoming the young man that I was hoping he was going to become. And, and we went to focus on the family, and uh, Jennifer was speaking there, and we, we met with the Dobsons afterwards. And I kind of expressed to Shirley Dobson, I said, you know, he's not where he is, needs to be, and I want him to be. And, and she, she looked at me, got my attention, said, Listen, uh, Phil, I want you to know something. I want you to know that who that boy is at age 13 is not who he's going to be at 23. Mm-hmm. So, and that is so true. The man of God that he is today oh, is just yes. incredible. God has done a great work. But I felt the pressure as a parent to try to coach them up to be who I thought they should be. But God has his hand in their lives and is, is guiding and directing them. So it really gave me a lot it's of... good. A lot of relief it did. to know that. Would you say that teenagers need tweaking? Oh. <laughs> I think so. Yes. I think so. And that's where we disagree. <laughs> Lindley tweaks more than me. And <laughs> we recently got into that's this. That's not dis- a hard thing. <laughs> you don't tweak a lot. <laughs> well, I, I see our three boys struggling with identity and security yep. and comparing themselves to each other and drinking protein shakes three times a day. <laughs> um, and... I just feel like they need a lot of encouragement. I look at them and I just think they need encouragement. Yeah. yeah. And Lindley looks at them and thinks they need correction. And she's often right. Um, but you, I mean, you know, we're, I'm being sarcastic with you here, but it, I do agree with you. And it, I mean, I'm thankful for him to bring that encouraging voice when I can overcorrect. But we have trouble because I, I don't want to be good cop. She's the bad cop. I don't want them to think dad's great. Mom's a total yeah. pain. Um, and... <laughs> This has really shifted since our daughter went to college. Now it's me, three boys, and two male dogs. Like, it, wow, we stick together. That's yeah. right. There's a lot of sports happening in our house right now. <laughs> well, so it, it, the, the I think that you think game has actually become something that's been very important for us. Like, I think that you think because yeah. I'm making this decision that I'm not thinking about blank. Yeah. yeah. And so to give each other, to make charitable assumptions 
about one Charitable? another. Charitable? Is that what you said? Charitable, Charitable assumptions. Mm-hmm. That is so good. It's very difficult. Yeah. Um, but it's thinking the best of each other. Yeah. And you know, you think about it because you just described our parenting style. Yeah. Um, I, was, right. I was the encourager. He was the, you know, Tweaker. police officer. Tweaker. And um, one of the things that, especially in retrospect, I look back because each of us could have modified mm-hmm. our approach. But you look at Jesus, okay? And I remember the verse, you know, thinking Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. And I don't know why I assumed that that meant 50% grace, 50% truth. You apply grace when it's necessary, truth when... No, Jesus was 100% grace Mm -hmm. and 100% truth all at the same time. And now as I relate to Phil and to our adult children, that's how I approach it. Because those two things can coexist. And when they do, we tend to get it more correct. I'm going to go off script and ask you about Rick Warren. Um, This afternoon is a big, scary moment for a lot of people. In fact, I was just talking to one of our women's event leaders, and she was like, I just don't think I can be in the room. Like, my mind is just going to go to so many places. Yeah. And so... Without getting into the argument of complementarianism and all the different views on that, what would you say, Jennifer, to women who are going to be sitting in a room today, nervous, anxious, full of thoughts? How do we take control of our thoughts? And then the same thing for men. I mean, I'm, I'm very anxious about today. Sure. And what it means for us at Lifeway, what it means for the SBC. How do you control your thoughts? It's a very difficult question, and you risk soundbiting right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with the grace with that in mind. I think we have to think, first of all, that the Southern Baptist Convention and those who are in authority are men or women. They are not um, God. And so our identity and our sense of agency and um, identity in Christ does not come from what man dictates so, so, so that's one thing. We cannot allow ourselves to be crushed emotionally by what a flawed human may say or not say. Secondly, just because uh, what I just said about Jesus being full of grace and truth, that is the way we need to treat each other, and that's the way we need to approach the charitable disposition we have toward each other with our understanding of his word. To remember that the essential things need to remain the essential things to understand what things of first importance are and to rally around those in agreement. And then for those who may be sitting in that room, and and I get it, I feel it. I mean, when you said that, Ben, my heart started to race. Right. I feel very uncomfortable with this. Not because of what it is necessarily, but because of what it represents. I want us to be a body of Christ who is better than this and bigger than this. And to love each other like Jesus. If this thing ended tomorrow, is this how we want to go out? Mm. I believe that we are called to something higher. And on the things that are non-essential, may we show grace and charity be for the sake of the gospel. And so I will be in that session this afternoon with my head held high as a woman who knows very securely that she is called to ministry no matter what man says. Hmm. Can I ask you, 
Whenever the SBC does what it does leading up to the convention, I always get nervous about our authors. Are they going to stay with us because we're SBC affiliated? <laughs> right. As a woman, a top leading female author for Lifeway, when, when these kind of things happen in the SBC, and it'll be something else next year, does it make you scared to associate with Southern Baptists with your career, or how does it make you feel? I don't feel scared, but I don't always feel comfortable because I understand that the perception, this is what I mean. I don't believe the way we are presenting ourselves as this community of Christ followers. I don't believe we are representing the best that Christianity offers. So perhaps I am less comfortable with that association as it exists today. But let me say this. We might have a brand perception issue, but I know there are people who are hearing my voice right now in this room that do not necessarily represent what that brand is perceived like. There are people who are serving on the front lines. We are giving 100%. We are loving. We're going to do the thing till Christ calls us home. There are men in this room who are going to preach the word till Christ calls them home, no matter what's going on in or outside of conventions and denominations. And that's who we are as a people of Christ. And that's who I want us to be. So I try to keep myself in that main essential lane of what's the mission, what's the calling, and then let the, let the clamor go on on the other sides. But we can, we can go straight ahead in what God's called us to do. Mm-hmm. I do feel a little uncomfortable with the brand perception, but can we all be part of perhaps changing that perception? Hmm. Yes, we can. Well, thanks for sticking with us. You've been an amazing author, amazing speaker. I love Lifeway. Well, I love Lifeway. Lifeway loves you. And I love the Baptists. I really do. I'm grateful <laughs> for what the Baptists have done in my life. I really am. Phil, what's it been like? I know you're a great college professor, and I don't want to discount that in any way. You stamp out ignorance every day, you tell me. There you go. That's right. says, I stamp out ignorance. That's right. I'm I not do. a medical doctor, but I can stamp out ignorance. That's right. <laughs> What's it been like to give a large majority of your life to supporting your wife in ministry? It's been amazing. I mean, the fact that God would orchestrate events so that I would have the opportunity for 37 years to walk alongside her and to lift her up. I know an excellent communicator when I see it, and she's one. And so I'm so happy to do whatever I can to lift her up so that God could use her, her voice, her writing, and ministry. So it's been a, a real honor for me to do that. I've got my career as a professor, but God has blessed me to be able to travel with Jennifer and to, to uh, lift her up in any way that I can. Love I would support. not be where I am without his partnership in the gospel and in the ministry. I would not. And I never, as you gave that illustration of a turtle on a telephone pole... I am that turtle on a telephone pole. I did not get here by myself, nor do I stay here by myself, nor do I want to, nor should any of us. We are stronger and better together. And I'm so thankful for a man of God who is willing to allow me sometimes to stand outside in the spotlight and he's happy to be in the shadow. I mean, that just says so much about his identity in Christ and how our partnership in the gospel um, has been fulfilled. I'm so thankful. Love you, honey. I think you're a real man, even though you love eyebrows. <laughs> even though he does eyebrows, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Lindley, is there anything you want to ask Jennifer before we go to the crowd? No, I think I'm good. I okay. want to keep my mouth shut here. Why? It's always better when you talk. She answered so beautifully. <laughs> Jennifer, uh, before we go to the, the audience, 
What would you say is the hardest thing about not having your sight for you? I think part of the reason that I dealt so much with self-talk is because um, it took me years to realize that I spent a majority of my inner dialogue trying to talk myself out of the shame and frustration and guilt of blindness. Like when my body can't perform according to what I know my brain could do, Hmm. there's such a frustration and even guilt of feeling like a burden to other people. And I know that people might think, well, the hardest thing about blindness must be not being able to see your kids or not being able to drive a car. And that stuff is so hard. But I think the hardest thing is that daily emotional battle that I fight in my mind every day that no one sees, but through the grace of God, I win through his word. That's probably the hardest thing. Mm. And, and you know what? That might be the real thorn of blindness. Mm. Mm. One of our favorite things to do is to go to dinner with you guys and watch Phil, the way that you set out the plate for her and put the four, you guys have this amazing system, mm-hmm. like incoming, here comes the food. <laughs> yeah. It's just really amazing yeah. to watch the way you guys have become such a team. Yes. And how weakness really makes us stronger together. So yeah. thank you guys for being so honest and real. We want to go to your questions yeah. now. Angie, I think you have some you're going to throw up here. So take it away. Okay. So this is for all of you, but let's start with Phil and Jennifer. Um, how do you maintain healthy boundaries between your marriage and ministry when you serve together? One of the things we do is in our home, we only talk ministry in the office. We never talk ministry in the bedroom, which is easier for me than Phil. But like, you know, Phil will come in because he's always working, always thinking. And I'm like, "Mm, nope, can't talk about it in the bedroom or the dinner table. Only in the office. That is one way we maintain boundaries. We also will do certain things like where we'll go to dinner or whatever, and I will say no ministry talk. No ministry. We're going to talk about... Sometimes I even bring those table talk cards Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that we just are forced to talk about something else because we work together in ministry. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the most practical ways we handle the boundaries. One of the ways that we've learned this is just uh, on the podcast, someone mentioned the importance of bookends. Hmm. Uh, before and after a really intense season to try to schedule some quality time together. Uh, and because sometimes life is out of control and it is chaotic and you just can't control it. It's nuts. Like this week is crazy. Um, but next week we're going to take a trip together. Good. So I think for us, a lot of it's just been quality time before and after and then realizing this is a season, it's really busy, but we're going to reconnect. Angie, can I, I was going to say something that we learned recently. We just read about it. And there, it was a ministry couple, and they said, we, we come in, and if we give percentages of, hey, you know what, that's a conversation I really want to have, but I'm only at 40% today, and I just feel like I can't give this conversation all that I need, or I'm going to be irritable or something. And so can we put this on a back burner until we feel like we're at 100%? That's really good. That is good. Yeah, good. So what has been your greatest challenge in ministry? Mandrails, y'all start with that. What has been our greatest challenge in ministry? We're both really strong-willed people and um, have to pretend sometimes that we get along when we <laughs> have had a really big fight. I mean, I just think that we, we knock sometimes, I mean, butt heads. And so it's really hard to get on a stage and pretend sometimes. We have friends in Denver, David and Wendy, who swear, they've, they swear, and I think, believe them, they've never had a fight. Wow. Mm. We have not had a fight in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone like three days. 
This has actually been very harmonious. I sent her yesterday the Bible verse of the day on the Bible app that was love is patient, love is kind. I sent it to her. Aww. Um, because when we I get I sent in, it back. <laughs> when we get in high pressure situations, we both get anxious and like whoever's in front of you is the one who takes the punch. Yeah. And I, I tell her that. I'm like, I feel like I'm taking punches because you're going through something right now and I just happen to be the one standing here. Mm. And it happens both ways. I do think that we've learned seasons too. I mean, I know this week is really stressful for him. And so if there was something that I would normally pick at or something, I mean, you know, there are seasons of grace to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a deal of this right now. I would also say that the hardest thing for me that I've gone through is when we came to Lifeway, I assured Lindley that there would be a great place for her. Mm. And I promised something that I couldn't keep. And that was one of the reasons that Jimmy and Carol Ann were so helpful to us is that we really felt like we could come and pastor Lifeway like we pastored a church and just, you can't do that. And I felt so much shame for telling her that it would be okay. And it wasn't okay. It was really, really hard. And I still to this day have regret about promising things that I couldn't promise. Uh, So that was about a year of counseling. Yeah, that's um, expensive. That was it was expensive very expensive, and, <laughs> yeah. but a costly, it's an investment. It was good. Yeah. It's an investment. Wow. <laughs> okay, so share wisdom, so Phil and Jennifer, on parenting adult children. Hmm. Once a parent, always a parent. Right. How have you handled the poor life choices of mm. adult children? Ooh, I want to hear this We're one. Listening. I have no idea. Yeah, well... You know, thankfully right now, so far, we haven't had any major poor life choices um, that we've had to parent through. But I think the principle that I have learned, and this is as a mom of boys, okay? It was very important to me as a mom of boys to to raise um, men, not grown-up baby men. So as I am an adult mom to adult boys, I want to treat them like men. So I'm even careful with the sweet baby comments, you know, because I... hard for me not to do that. There's nothing wrong with that, but I want to make sure I I really treat them like they feel respected because I know that's so important to them. And so I ask more questions than I give more advice. And I only give advice if I am asked. Um, I look at myself more as a coach and a friend. That is a different dynamic for me as a mom of boys than it is probably of um, Phil as a dad of boys. Yeah. I remember when one of our sons was in his 20s and in college, and he wasn't following, the, again, the path yeah. that I thought he should be when he was in school. And, uh, and, and I mean, not just tw- needing tweaking. I mean, no, needed a radical serious. change yeah, in his life. And some of you know what I'm talking about when you've got a, a, a son or a daughter that's going the total opposite way yeah. and doing things they shouldn't be doing. And I remember it was a drive to Nashville uh, to talk to Lifeway about one of Jennifer's you know, newest Bible studies. And I just remember talking to Jennifer about it, and, uh, and, I, and, and she, just, she just said, Phil, you, you cannot fix it. You cannot change him. You must surrender this to God. And it was at that point in time that I got it. Finally, I got it. I've got to surrender this boy to the Lord, the issues to the Lord. I can't change it. Nope. And it made a radical difference in my point of view and my parenting, and my loving him, and loving him through that. And again, I'm telling you, God is faithful. On the other side, <laughs> now that he's 34, he's a godly man that so loves awesome. Jesus and has a family of four, and it's just 
a beautiful thing. So surrender. Well, and it's true. I mean, because Phil's personality is, I'm going to grab this thing and control it and make it work. And there are some things you just cannot mm-hmm. control, and you got to just let it go because God's got it, and God's got him, and right. the relationship got better, too, it because of it. It's yeah. good. So we have just a few more minutes, but I love this question because we have a segment on the Glass House called The Best Advice. So would you guys share the best advice you've been given in ministry? Mm-hmm. The best advice I've been given in ministry, uh, Deacon gave this to me at Inglewood Baptist Church, that people want to work with you and not for you. Mm. And so every time I can be on a peer level with the people I work with, no matter what the org chart looks like, and we're just human beings, human beings, it creates an unbelievable connection. Uh, so I, I really would say like the greatest joy for me at Lifeway is getting to work with the people getting to know them. We have this new coffee machine in our new space where I like to sit there as long as possible and just wait for the most random person to walk up and just find something fascinating about them. Because if you love people, you can be happy anywhere you are. And so that piece of advice helped me overcome the success addiction of wanting more accolades and seeing people that God puts in our path. That's good. Somebody else? Well, mine's probably from my dad, who was my um, pastor, my hero in ministry. And what resonates with me, he told me one time as we were walking down to the beach, um, down to the shoreline, and uh, my dad was in a lot of pain. He had been sick for a while. And I asked him, Dad, how do you do it? Because he never complained. Just such a kind, godly disposition always. And he said to me, I've learned to be patient with myself, to be patient with others, and to be patient with God. And that, wow. that has resonated with me every day. I remember it all the time because there are times when I need to be patient with myself in ministry, in life. There are many days when I need to be patient with others. And sometimes we just need to be patient with God, with what he's doing and what his timetable is. Yeah. So it's been a very healing advice for me that constantly informs what I do. That's good. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Bill, you got one? Well, my, it, it wouldn't be related to ministry as much as it is related to relationship. And the advice that I was, somebody shared with me one time is, if, if you know that you are, are, are going to be with this person and love this person, when you have conflict... You know that you're called to forgive. Why not forgive a little sooner than a little later? Mm. That's good. Did you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you looking at me? That was a really good one. Did you guys see what happens here? (laughs) For the tweakers out there. Yes. So good. (laughs) Why don't we forgive a little sooner? That's so good. (laughs) And, And the making up is a great thing. The making up is awesome. Lindley, do you, I bet do you you've have got any? some good advice. Great oh, advice. Man. man. Well, mine is also not exactly ministry related, but it totally relates in that when I was young, my grandfather gave me a framed piece of art that said, speak well of people and you need never whisper. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have this perfected by any means, but I do think that is, it was, and he, he modeled that. Um, he never spoke a negative word of anybody. And so I kept that on my dresser all of my life of just... Mm. Speak well, people, and you need never whisper. It's such a good question. Yeah. Best yeah. advice. Thank you for your answers. Ben, you want to wrap us up? Yes. yes. Thank you for coming every year, for listening to The Glass House, for being supportive of Lifeway. 
through all of our evolution as a company and changes that we've made, uh, we are in a great, great spot. We've got an incredible team, an incredible new space, a new culture, and it's going just, we just praise God because it's, the ship has really turned in a great direction and it's because of all of you and your support as customers. So thank you. Um, so with that, we wanted to close by asking a couple of very special people to, to pray for us. We wanted to ask Donna Gaines to pray for the women in the room because today is a substantial day for women. And we wanted to ask Jimmy Draper to pray for all the men in the room as we close. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us by name, and you have set us apart to be yours. And Father, we pray today that you will preside over our convention, that your spirit will be in control. And we're asking in the name of Jesus that your kingdom will come and your perfect will will be done. Lord, I pray for the women in this room and the women of our convention that they will be secure in their identity in Christ and the call that you've placed upon their life. Father, I thank you for women in Scripture who have been such an example to me. Lord, I thank you for Deborah. I thank you for Hulda. And Lord, I fully believe these women never demanded a title or a position. They just walked with you. And God, you granted them favor and you gave them influence. So Lord, thank you that we don't have to market ourselves or brand ourselves. What we need to do is seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And all these other things will be taken care of. Lord, help us today to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then may we humbly do what you have called us to do. May we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Father, let us enable us through the power of your spirit to walk in grace and truth and to do exactly what we've heard this morning. Father, to grant ourselves grace and to grant others grace. And Lord, we're asking that what Jesus said we would be known by, by our love for one another, would become a reality, that we might accurately reflect you to a lost and dark world. Father, may we be about your business. Bless the women. Bless the pastor's wives. Bless the women called into ministry. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. May they be vessels of honor in your hand. And may they bring glory to your name until the day they see you face to face. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the call that you have placed upon each of us. Thank you that you've called us into a ministry, a ministry where everybody is somebody, nobody is nobody. In Christ, we're somebody special. And thank you for the men who stand to proclaim the word of God, who seek to have a fresh word every week as they minister to their people. Thank you for their passion and compassion. Thank you for the wives that stand by their side and uh, and give meaning and purpose in, in very special ways for their ministries. Uh, thank you that none of us stands alone in ministry. We stand with you. And Lord, thank you that you don't use any of us because of us. It's always in spite of us. And yet in spite of that, you love us and you use us and you... Uh, anoint us, and, and we're grateful for that. Father, thank you for letting us be a part of uh, a convention that can discuss hard things and deal with uh, critical issues and uh, take action and then walk together when we leave the, the moment of decision. And we know that's going to happen this time. We just are grateful. <clears throat> we pray that you'll just give us wisdom for this day and this convention. 
but most of all that you'll give us anointing and power and, and uh, ability to follow your leadership for us as we go back to our places of service and ministry. And Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit is planted in us when we're saved. And our task is to be in a good relationship with you. Pay attention and be obedient. That's our assignment. May we do it effectively. And just thank you for giving us that privilege. Thank you for Lifeway. Thank you for Ben Mandrell, Lindley, and for all the folks there. Thank you that Lifeway is not just a concept or a building, but it's people. People who love you and who serve and minister. And their, their task every day is to help our churches uh, succeed. And so thank you for that. And may this be the best year ever for us as Southern Baptists, for Lifeway, for each of us in our ministry. We're grateful. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Glass House is a production of Lifeway. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins. Sound engineering by Dale Sandberg. Original music by Robert Elkins. Photography by Rebecca McVeigh. And artwork by Heather Bersansky. We are your hosts, Ben and Lindley Mandrill. Thanks for listening.